0: The Paul Leslie Hour Helping people tell their stories And now, your host, Paul Leslie Hey, it's me Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour Just remember that the show is made possible through listeners and viewers like you Just go to thepaulleslie.com and click on support the show Thank you to all of you who have contributed Now let's get into the interview Ladies and gentlemen Our special guest is songwriter Archie Jordan. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Pleasure to be here with you, Paul.
0: Thank you for making the time to join us. Who is Archie Jordan? Well, he's
1: a guy that was born in Augusta, Georgia. Grew up in South Georgia, then moved to South Carolina and played in... Band. Started my first band when I was in the seventh grade and moved on in high school, of course, and had another band, the Intruders. Had a band in college. I majored in music. Toured with the Tams when I was 18 years old. I was a guitar player. The Tams got me my first break, introduced me to my first publisher in Atlanta, which led to my first publisher in Nashville, doing life as a songwriter. So that's what I've been doing for about the last 35 years.
0: What music did you hear growing up?
1: Early on, I listened to James Brown, Wilson Pickett... Otis Redding I loved R&B music But I also love the Beatles Everybody I believe In my generation Loved the Beatles They influenced me a lot I loved Burt Bacharach stuff Hal David And you know I eventually Got to write With Hal David I wrote My first hit record With him As I matured A little in music And got a little older I really became Interested in The great writers Like Irvin Berlin Richard Rogers I love the great Great movie composers like uh, Max Steiner, you know, those wonderful composers back there in the 30s and 40s. and Because I'm a, a great lover of melody, so I really have, have always studied the great film composers and, and the master songwriters. And you learn from the people that came before you, even though styles change. It's always good to look back, you know, learn from the guys who did it before you did
0: in your opinion, from the modern era, could you pick the best songwriter?
1: I think David Foster is a great writer. He's you know written from everybody from Whitney Houston to all these great guys today, like Josh Groban and Andre Bocelli, and so many. And he's he's a great melody writer. There's a lyric writer out in California, Shelly Piken, who she's written some great songs, wrote some of Christina Aguilera's things. She's very good Can kind of do it all, the pretty stuff and the funky stuff still in this day and time also one of my favorite guys is a man named Richard Lee who uh, wrote one of his biggest songs was Don't Make My Brown Eyes Blue still writes he still does concerts and he's a great melody and lyric guy a couple more I'd like to mention Randy Newman I think's outstanding, outstanding he's just such a stylist has his own style of course Diane Warren who's Probably the most successful writer in the last twenty years. She's written so many big hits, and she's a wonderful writer. Can still do it and still get cuts today.
0: And who do you think are the best songwriters from yesteryear?
1: Well, I'd have to say right off, I think Paul McCartney is, you know, right up there. I mean, he's. His material is just, he's so gifted. He's very skilled. He's a great craftsman, but, you know, when you write melodies like Yesterday and The Long and Winding Road, it's just at another whole level, and I think you've just got to have that God-given ability to write at that level. You can practice and learn the craft of songwriting, but that God-given gift is just that, God-given, and his melodies are just amazing. Amazing. Back Rags, another great one. How David did have a. I wrote with him for many years, and it was a dream come true for me. He was an amazing man to work with. He was He's one of those who was very, very gifted, but also one of the best craftsmen that I ever wrote with. He was thinking way ahead as we'd be writing, way, way ahead.
0: Just knew how to
1: put it all together. One of my favorite writers passed away three years ago, a guy named Paul Davis, who wrote I Go Crazy, Want to Bop With Your Baby Me in Montana. Cool night, 65, love right there. Down to my last teardrop. We started out together in Atlanta at Bang Records and Neither one of us had a hit at, at that time, and he had a real big hit with Rodden Cowboy as his first hit single. He was a good friend. We wrote one hit together in Nashville. But I tell you, when when you wrote with Paul, man, it was it was just amazing to hear what would just all of a sudden come out of his mouth. Because I remember one time we were writing, and he sang this chorus, and I just said, "Man, if that doesn't let you know." that there is a god <laughs> because it was just so phenomenal i said man i just don't believe anybody's that good on their own you know <laughs> he's one of my all-time favorite there's so many going way back urban berlin i've studied his work and richard rogers two of my favorite they're just if you really want to you know, learn how to write a great melody and craft a great lyric. Those are two people that you really need to study. These two of my very favorites. Of course, I mentioned Max Steiner, one of the greatest film composers ever lived. Great influence on me. Oh, man, there are so many. But that covers some of my very favorites.
0: Tell us about meeting Arthur Connolly and that experience in your life.
1: I was in high school, and we had a band in high school called Mike Stewart and the Intruders. We were a hot band there in Aiken, South Carolina, and known around the Augusta, Georgia area also, and we used to pack the crowd. We got a call from an agent in Augusta, and he had booked Arthur Conley to play at this National Guard armory, and Arthur just had sweet soul music, and the agent hired my band to back him up in those days and you know in the late 60s you know a lot of the artists who were single acts a lot of them didn't carry a band that time unless they were real real big like Otis Redding or Jane Brown but that was Arthur's first hit and he took a guitar player with him that was his musical director his name was Carl Williams and he was really good so we got the job to back up Arthur and we had a rehearsal that day, the afternoon of the concert, and we only worked up about six songs, six or seven songs. We got them down like Arthur and Carl Williams, and you know, to their expectations. And But I was thinking, man, how are we going to make these songs last for an entire set? Well, we all learned something that night. We found out something. He would stretch out a song. It would get to the end of the song, and Arthur would bring it down. He'd get the band to play real softly, and he'd start talking to the audience, talking to the girls, and then he'd start dancing, and he'd he'd get us to bring the music back up. Before you know it, the song was 10 or 15 minutes long. We learned a lot about showmanship from Arthur, and that was my first time of getting to back up a a major recording artist like that. Still got... um, an album, his first album, that I, I saw the other day, and, and Arthur and his music director signed it to me. So that's, man, that thing's probably, oh, 45 years old, I guess.
0: Our special guest is Archie Jordan. Tell us about the first time that you wrote a song.
1: I was about 18. I was 17 or 18. I think it was my last year in high school, and I wrote this, like I was saying, I, I love beautiful melodies, and I went to the piano and picked out this melody and finally got it the way I wanted it, and and then I started putting some lyrics to it, and, and they were pretty good. They were pretty good for my first thing. I eventually, when I got a deal with Bang Records, we recorded it, recorded on a, a black female artist, and she did a great job on it i mean it was never a big hit i don't know if it was even a side even that early it kind of identified my style kind of got known to writing the pretty ballads real melodic thing then i, I wrote one real kind of funky thing up tempo early on but it wasn't identifiable to my style i've written all type of songs but you know still i come back to those hunting for those beautiful melodies
0: it definitely sounds like you are more moved by the melody than the lyric. Is that true?
1: Well, I think, yeah, some people are just really born to write lyrics. Some are born to write music. Some do both. I've written both, like What a Difference You Made in My Life. I wrote music and lyrics. Most of the gospel things I've written, I, I did music and lyrics. But since I was a kid, I was always drawn to the melody. There's something so infectious about a beautiful melody. Most people, they can think of an old song, and they might not be able I would sing the lyrics, but they can usually hum a melody. There's something just infectious about a great melody, and I'm very moved by melody.
0: I understand there is a screenplay being written about this experience. One of the people I was most delighted to interview was Charles Pope of the Tams, and you actually went out on the road with the Tams. Right. I'm sure there are a lot of stories. Tell us about touring with the Tams.
1: I tell you that was that was one of those times that a life changing experience because i was 18 years old i think it was a summer right after my first year in college and i was asleep one saturday morning and a friend of mine Bip Balknight from aiken he called woke me up and he said arch you need to get down to the rhythm house that was a club between aiken south carolina and augusta georgia on the number one highway and that old building is still there and he said you need to go down there. They're auditioning lead guitar players for the Tams. And man, I jumped up and I put my Fender Super Reverb amp in the car and my guitar. And I rode down to the Rhythm House and knocked on the bus door there. The Tams bus was out there. And the guy came to the door and I told him I was there to audition. And his name was Jerome Kenny He was the band leader and bass player. So we went all, all went inside the club. They had their instruments and amplifiers and all already set up on stage. And, and all these were veteran musicians. The Tams always had a great band, and they just knew how to pick musicians. And They saw this little skinny 18-year-old white boy walking, and everybody kind of rolled their eyes. Jerome said, well, come on up on the stage and plug in, and let's play a couple songs. And, and he asked me to play a couple things. And I did, and one of them was a Beatles piece, "Let It Be," and and then we went to a couple of Tams things, and I just could, I knew that stuff backwards and forwards because I was a big fan of the Tams. It wasn't hard for me. I just loved it. And you know, Paul, I got to say that when on the when I was in the car riding to the audition, it wasn't a cocky thing. It just something told me that this was my shot, and I really believed I was going to get it, and I did. Man, it just led to everything. I toured with them that summer all over the southeast. We played night after night. We'd be in Virginia one night and Florida the next. Didn't get any sleep. It was just an incredible experience. I'll never forget my parents. When I came home after the audition, I went home and told my mom and dad. They both grew up during the Depression, World War II, when they got married. And I told them that I'd won this audition and I was going to go on the road with the Tams. And they said, you're going to do what? <laughs> You know, they didn't know what to take about their son going on the road, you know, at 18 years old. I finally convinced them, and they knew how much I loved their music. My parents took me to Atlanta to the lead singer's house, Joe Pope. He lived in Decatur. All the Tams lived around Decatur. We found their house, and the Tams bus was in the yard. There were about 25 people in Joe's yard. I mean, it was all kind of stuff going on. It was a lot of loud talking and music and it was some kind of scene. And we got out of the car and my mother was real good, real good at sizing people up right away. And she picked out Charles Pope, one of the Tams, and she said, Charles, would you look after my son while he's on the road with y'all? And he said, yes, Ms. Jordan, I will. And you know what? He did. I mean, he looked after me, and he encouraged me to write songs when he saw I had some ability to do it. And But I'll never forget when I got on that bus, and I stepped on that town's bus, and everybody was on, on the bus. There were about, like I said, 20, 25 people. They had a 10-piece band, five singers, a couple valets, bus drivers, sound man. It was a big crew, and, you know, of course, there were a lot of women on the bus. <laughs> and I walked on that bus, and that door closed, and I saw my parents' 69 Impala drive off. And I looked down the aisle of that bus, and you couldn't hardly see. It was full of smoke. You know, cigarette smoke, other kind of smoke. They had these little tables in the middle of the aisle where they were thin enough where they would fit in the aisle of the bus with a chair on each end where they played blackjack. (laughs) They played cards all the time. I was scared to death. I didn't know any of them. I was looking down the aisle trying to find me a seat. And one of the Tams... Al Collin was sitting on the front seat, and he saw I was scared to death. And he wanted to put me at ease. He decided to do it with humor. He kind of got everybody's attention. He looked up at me, and he said, Get to the back of the bus, Pink Booty. This is a (laughs) black people's bus. (laughs) And that broke the eyes. I mean, everybody just fell out. I died laughing. I mean, man, he he just knew what to say. And that name stuck. From then on, they called me Pink Booty. You know, Pink Booty, get your guitar and get on stage, you know. <laughs> so that's what they called me the whole time. And every now and then, one of them will still call me that, you know. <laughs> they were great to me. And like I said, they, they helped me get my first break with Bang Records in Atlanta. And through them, I met Clifford Curry, the great soul singer. He introduced me to my first publisher in Nashville, which led to everything to the first hit record, so that's kind of how all that came about.
0: Our special guest is Archie Jordan. Tell us about the song It Was Almost Like a Song that you wrote with the lyricist Hal David.
1: Again, uh, being melody was such a big part of my makeup uh, you know, the way I wrote. When I signed a deal with Chess Music in Nashville, that was Charlie Pride's company, and Tom Collins was also one of the owners and he ran the company he saw that my strength especially at that time was in melody you know I, I I wasn't real knowledgeable about lyrics we got talking about different lyricists and i told him how well you know gosh i always love hal davis stuff and he said well hal's on the board of directors of ascap and tom knew the people at ascap pretty well and he said well, let me see if i can get you an audition with him and that's how he did it. So I put four of my best melodies on tape. They gave me his address, and I mailed the melodies to Hal. And he called me probably a couple of weeks later, and he'd written the lyrics. To one of them And we got that cut later on After it was almost like a song But then we kept writing a few things Then I came up with the melody To it was almost like a song And I worked on it real hard Until I felt I got it right And as simple as it sounds I spent a long time Selecting those first five notes Because that pretty much determined What the rest of the song was going to be The melody And I mailed that melody to How And he called me about a week later And he I think I've got that lyric to that melody He said but And he read it to me And I thought it was great He said but I'm still working on the last verse He called me back with that A few days later And I did a little piano demo at my house and what we call a work take I took it into my publisher and he loved it and he just thought it was great and we played it for everybody in town all over Nashville But nobody would, would record it. My own band would not record it. I mean, it got very discouraged. <laughs> and then finally, Roy Clark recorded the song. But he started second-guessing that he thought it was too pop, too pretty, too many chord changes. And so he took it off his record. It just devastated me. So that was my first big cut. But I said, I just got to believe the Lord's got something else better far down the road. And one day, my publisher called me. He said, Arch, I'm in Ronnie Millsap's home. He's done his own arrangement of your song. He said, if it comes off as well in the studio... As it does here at his house, it'll be the biggest record he's ever had. And that's pretty much what happened. It was number one for three weeks, got real high on the pop chart, you know, nominated for the Grammys and the CMA Award, Bridges of Madison County, and, and many, many people covered it. That's how I got to know Hal David, and Hal sure helped my career get jump started. We wrote many songs together after that.
0: It's kind of like a prayer that you had, that if it had come true earlier, the rewards would not have been as sweet.
1: You're right. You're right. <laughs> you really are right. It's hard to see that sometimes, because uh, like Roy Clark's record, he cut a really good version, but it would have never been the big hit that Ronnie's was. In fact, after Ronnie's version was a hit on Roy Clark's next album, he put the song on his album then. <laughs> But Ronnie put that high ending on it, you know, at the end. Roy didn't do that. I didn't do that on the demo. That was Ronnie's own. That was kind of a signature thing of his because he had such a great vocal range. It put a lot of drama into the song. And it was just, man, it was just a huge record. And he was the artist who was destined to cut it. So, yeah, it was worth waiting on (laughs)
0: What was the inspiration behind the song What a Difference You Made in My Life, which you wrote?
1: Well... That was one that the good Lord definitely had me in the right place at the right time. My publisher always told me and the other writers on staff, he said, you need to always be looking and listening for hit song ideas. They're all around us, but you, get the professional songwriter, pays attention to what's going on. And that was just kind of building my subconscious from then on. I went to a Bible study once a week in Nashville, and friend of mine's house named alan moore a great arranger there were usually about 25 of us in his basement one night a week and this one particular night there were about 25 of us again and this one guy stood up and I didn't know him at the time. I don't think he, he just started coming, I believe. And, but he told this story. He said he came from a prominent family there in Middle Tennessee, Columbia area. He said, you know, their, their family had a clothing store, line of clothing business. And he, became, he got to the point where he had his own store. He was doing real well, making a lot of money, had a beautiful home, wife and daughter. And they were just living the American dream. But he got drinking real bad and doing drugs. Things started to spiral downward, started not coming into work, and started going through all his money, and he lost his job. He went through all his savings. He couldn't make his house payments anymore, lost the home. His wife got fed up. She divorced him, took their daughter, and moved out of state. And this man looked at us. He said, one day I looked around. And I had nothing, and I had nobody. And he said, I finally came to the end of my rope, and I turned my life over to the Lord. And what a difference he's made in my life. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, right at that moment, I started writing that song. Music and lyrics at the same time just were coming in my head even while he was still talking from that point on i hardly heard anything else that went on at the bible study i just continued writing it and i continued writing it in my head on the way home started working on finishing it the next morning i went in and played it for my publisher he said arch man that is a great song he said i want to show it to ronnie And so he did, and Ronnie loved it. But he asked me to change two lines, and I spent longer on those two lines than probably I did writing the whole song, all the rest of the song. But I want to tell you, Ronnie was right about it. The two lines I changed were, they were so much better than what I had. So I, I got those right, he recorded it, and... First, he recorded it as a country love song, and it was a big hit. It was a number one record. But as soon as it hit the airwaves, all the gospel artists, they just knew that it was written about the Lord. They could tell, and many gospel artists who were recording a lot of gospel things at the time, many people went on to record it, and still to this day, it's the most recorded song that I've ever written. About three weeks ago, I think two times in one week, two different artists emailed me from Brazil and told me they were fixing to record the song and won my permission. And, and then my son's a missionary and he he was on his third trip to Brazil a couple months ago. And when he got back, He told me, he said, Dad, he said, I was with this one pastor, and we were at his home fixing to eat dinner, and he was cooking dinner for his family and me, and he said he was singing this song, and I asked him, I said, Pastor, what's that song? And he told me in English, because he was singing it in Portuguese, and he told him, and my son said, my dad wrote that song. Josh, my son said, is that a popular song down here? He said, there's probably not a Christian in Brazil that doesn't know that song. Sure enough, I started to find out that churches down there, they do it by almost every church in Brazil does that song. And he sent me a video of a church singing it. But I get reports like that. by like one from Siberia, a little church in the middle of nowhere. Learned it and wanted to sing it for a group of Americans that came. But it just shows me how... The Lord uses you when you don't even know it's you should, you know. It's, the song just still amazes me how God still uses that song to this very day.
0: Our special guest is songwriter Archie Jordan. Could you pick a favorite song of yours that you wrote?
1: I would have to say that one. I'd have to say what a difference. Just because of the way it came to me and the number of lives. It is Touched. That would have to be my favorite. I've got some, and there's one song that I've really not had a record on yet that I think is one of the best melodies I've ever written, but, you know, I had not got a record on it yet. When just stacking them all up, what a difference. But still, have had to be my favorite.
0: Tell us about the song, It's All I Can Do.
1: Okay. That's another pretty one there, too. That I am crazy about uh, Richard Lees, I mentioned earlier, who's one of my favorite of all time songwriters. He's been nominated for the Gra- oh, well, he's a Grammy Award winner in the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. We do a few concerts together each year. We've written a lot of things together. When we were on my porch in Franklin, Tennessee. I had this old 150-year-old country Victorian home and on 17 acres, and we were writing and trying to come up with something, and we came up with this idea, it's all I can do. And we worked on it, and we then we went in my, I had a studio behind the house, and we went in there and worked on it, and we finally got it like we wanted. And Richard just, he has a beautiful voice, and he's a great great melody writer himself and we finally got it we felt like in the shape that we needed it in and we really felt like ann murray ought to record the song and we took it to capitol records and played it for somebody there and they didn't agree with us they said no we don't think that's for ann we were still persistent and we finally found this one guy at capitol his name was lynn schultz and we played it for lynn he said i think you guys are right he said, I'm going to send it to Ann Murray's home in Canada. And so he sent our demo to her. And she called him back and she said, I love it. I want to cut it. So Jim and Norman cut the song on her and took it in the top ten. And that was a time in her career. She'd cooled off a little bit. You Needed Me was a few years back and... But man, to get in the top ten, is, is a great honor. And then Ronnie Millsap, he cut it after she cut it, after Ann cut it, and Ronnie was trying to get it out before she did. The timing of it just worked out that Ann got it out first, and, and she did have a great version.
0: The song that you wrote, Turn That Radio On, did you write that with Ronnie Millsap in mind?
1: No, I originally was trying to write something for the judge. I'd worked on that this meld. I didn't have any lyrics to it, and I remember calling... Paul David and I said, I want to play this melody I got and see if, if we can make it work for the judge. I said, the way I'm hearing it, I think the harmony will work real good for the judge. And I said, I'm doing a lot of arrangements for Brent Mayer, the judge producer, and, and I'm sure I can get him to hear it. I went out to Paul's, and we worked on it, and I thought I had all the music, but it turned out I didn't. The part I had uh, turned out to be the verse. And then Paul came up with a melody to a chorus, and he already had the lyrics on the chorus. So we put them together. What music I had served as a verse, and his music served as a chorus. But he originally had it, though. Somebody turned That Radio Off. We did it like that for a while. We sung it like that while we were working on it. And I got home, and I started thinking about that thing. I said, man, if we come out with this record, somebody turned that radio off. I said, how many DJs are going to want to play this? <laughs> you know? So I talked to Paul about it. I said, man, I think we need to change it, to Somebody turn that radio on and build a story around that. Paul, he said, I, I don't know. He said, you just kind of worried about him not playing it. I said, well, yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. So we talked it, tossed it around. He said, yeah, let's try it like that. And so we went and turned that radio on, wrote the story around that, and he wrote most of the lyrics. Probably about 90% of them, at least. And But I think I've contributed the one word that was, was very important. We might not have ever got the song played on the radio if we didn't turn that radio off. But it was really Ronnie's last big hit. Went to number three on the chart. Ronnie did a great job of it. They actually used our track for the record, the track that Paul and I cut. But that's kind of how that one happened.
0: In addition to songwriting, you've also worked as a producer, so I have to ask about working with the great BJ Thomas.
1: Oh man, that was one of the thrills of my life. And just like working with Hal David, if I could have ever picked a lyricist I wanted to work with, it'd been Hal David. And it was a dream come true same with B.J. Thomas. I just thought, man, this guy is probably my favorite white male singer. He just has such an unusual style and is so creative. I got the chance to work with him when I was doing some arrangements for a guy named Chris Christian in Nashville who had cut a gospel album, a contemporary Christian album on B.J. and he also cut a couple of my songs too and then they did another album on him and But it came time that Chris moved on to some different projects. And because I'd done arrangements on BJ's couple of his albums and wrote some of his songs, and they knew I was production-oriented also, that they hired me, Word Records hired me to produce his next couple of albums. And it was just amazing to be in the studio with just he would make a song his own you know he just didn't get out there and he was smart enough to know that he needed to sing the writer's melody if it was a great melody but he also incorporated his style which set him apart from most singers and we're still good friends to this day and back in 2010 I cut a new Christmas song on him that I wrote and we don't have it out yet but I, maybe it'll be this Christmas we're still good friends and we talk every now and then.
0: What is the best thing about being Archie Jordan?
1: Oh, man. I think one of the best things is I'm married to just a great girl. That her name's... Kathy, we grew up in our youth about 15 miles from each other, but we never knew each other. Well, I met Kathy about eight years ago. We dated for a year, and we were just friends the first six months, and then fell in love. And But she's the most selfless person I've ever met. I'm just, just crazy about her and she's just one of those people who has helped me so in my life and that's one of the best things I can think of about being Archie Jordan plus I, I have a son that I'm very proud of. I, I was married before Kathy being Josh's mom for 28 years and Josh is 30 now and he's just a, a wonderful young man he went through his times in high school and you know through the drug scene and he Got all over that and been clean for at least about 10 years. And he's associate pastor at his church, and he's a missionary. And those are two of the best things about being Archie Jordan. And also, I just thank the Lord that that I know the Lord, and I'm a Christian. And I thank the Lord that he has uh, let me be able to do music for a livelihood. And I'm so grateful to to be able to do something that I like doing. And So that kind of sums it up.
0: My last question, for anyone who hears this broadcast, what would you, Archie Jordan, like to say to the listeners?
1: I say this day and time, everybody kind of knows that our our world is so topsy-turvy. All the trouble in the Middle East, our economy, is kind of gloomy looking. But regardless of whether it is or not, the most important thing is to know where you're going when you leave this world. I was fortunate enough to find that out in college when I turned my life over to the Lord and became a Christian. I remember when I moved to Nashville as a beginning songwriter, and I moved there. I didn't have any money, and, and I remember reading this verse in the Bible in Proverbs. It said, Dedicate your work to the Lord, and it will become a success. And I just said, Well, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm going to do that, and I prayed. I said, Lord, just everything I write, whether it's gospel or country or pop, I just dedicate to you and, and ask that you will bless it. And he did. I became very successful, and I thank the Lord for him blessing me. My life hadn't been perfect. I was ill for 13 years with incurable disease. I had an operation that totally cured me. I've been cured since 1995, but it took its toll. It pretty much took all my wealth away from me and hurt my career. The Lord showed me through it all that if you belong to Him, He still got it all in control. And He still looks after us and takes care of us no matter where we're at in our life, whether we're on the mountaintop or down in the valley. He still looks after us. So the most important thing is get that straight in your life good friend of mine, when I came down to Georgia, he asked me this question. He said, well, now that you're not Nashville Music Mecca, you're down here in South Georgia, living out here in the country. He said, what's your business plan? I said, business plan, man? I just lost everything. I, I said, I'll have to get back to you on that. And I, I came back to him. And this is one thing I'd like to leave with people out there. I told this friend of mine, I said, well, I thought about what you said, and I did some reading in the scriptures and and some soul searching and praying. And this verse is my business plan. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. And that's still my business plan because I just don't think I'm smart enough to figure it all out this day and times. So I trust that the Lord will show me every step to take. What He will and what He has done. So that's kind of it, Pa.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, songwriter Archie Jordan, Mr. Jordan, it's been a great pleasure.
1: Thank you, buddy. You're a great interviewer, and like I told you, I enjoyed one of those interviews you did with Don McLean. It was so fabulous. You got a talent at doing it. I appreciate you letting me share my story with the listeners out there.
0: It's been a pleasure.
1: Same here, buddy.